Thank you for tuning into the HAE Speaks podcast. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the Hereditary Angioedema Association, a patient advocacy organization serving the needs of the HAE patient and caregiver community. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the HAE Speaks podcast. And today with me, I have Marna and Marty, and we are going to talk about HAE and education and communicating with your school about your child's HAE. Welcome, Marty and Marna. Hi. Hi, Missy. Hello. I'd like for you guys to take a little bit of time um, and introduce yourselves in case anybody listening has not already met you two lovely ladies. I'm Marna, and my daughter has hereditary angioedema. She's type 1. She's a de novo in our family, so she's the first one to have hereditary angioedema. She's currently in high school. A little bit about me, I'm a middle school science and social studies teacher in San Antonio, Texas. Welcome, Marna. Thank you. I'm excited Hi. to be here. <laughs> Hi, and my name is Marty Nearing, and my daughter is Kelsey, and she is a normal C1 patient and she was diagnosed with HAE 10 years ago now. Um, I can't believe it's been that long. I am um, obviously her mom and her caregiver uh, regardless of the fact that she's 20 almost 24 years old Um, and um, but I'm also the director of student services for a large public school system in northern Illinois. Um, I've been an assistant principal and a special education teacher. Welcome Marty. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I am super excited to have this conversation with you two ladies, with being that I am also a caregiver to my daughter, Abby, who is seven and in first grade. She was diagnosed at the age of three. So we are just starting into her school career where this is a topic that I am always thinking about. And so I have lots of questions. So I'm glad for you two to join me. And I'm sure if I have these questions, I'm sure there's other parents out there um, with these same questions. So to kick off, um, my first question is, how often would you guys recommend speaking to the school about HAE? Well, I could share, put my mom hat on, but also my my school administrator hat. Um, I think, you know, minimally, you need to be talking with your school on an annual basis, minimally. But honestly, best practice is really going to be to notify the school anytime there's a medication change um, or anytime there's been a follow-up with additional information from the physician after an attack. You know, any kind of medical change could promote a change to any accommodations or interventions that um, are already in place at school. And if the school doesn't know about it, then they can't put those um, interventions into practice. So I, I don't think um, there's a such thing as overkill when you're communicating a life, a potentially life-threatening um, condition with your, with your child's school. So in this situation, less is not best. I would reach out to them um, as frequently as, as you feel that you need to. I agree. We, I always make sure that we meet with her teachers at least once a year. Uh, Paige has a 504. So luckily we always have a meeting scheduled and because we're military, we move around so often. It's always at the very 
beginning of school or before the school year starts. And I always like to follow up with an email with information or provide an email ahead of time when I need to meet with her teachers. Um, just like Marty said, with a change of medication, I always like to reach out to her teachers when she was in elementary school for sure and explain what the changes were going to be and how that might affect her in the classroom when she was doing twice weekly infusions of Sunrise that impacted her ability to be on time for school twice a week. So it was a great opportunity to reach out, explain changes that were going on with her and to also get some follow-up information from her teachers. You know, Marta, you bring up a really good point uh, when you said to follow up with the email. I think it's really important, especially now um, when so much of what we're doing is, is remote and virtual. I think it's really good when you have a phone conversation with the school that you make sure that you then send an email and follow up, you know, just to review what we discussed in our phone call and make sure that you're putting that in writing. I I think that was an excellent point. So thanks for bringing that up. Both of you ladies brought up some excellent points and really um, drove in the fact that you cannot over communicate with your school about your child's diagnosis with HAE. Um, Because that's one of the things that I was wondering about is, am I communicating too much? Um, But from your guys' points that there is no over-communicating. So that's awesome. I like that. Makes me feel better as a mom of a HAE patient. (laughs) Yeah. So in your guys' thoughts or in your guys' perspective, who is involved in these meetings? Who do I need to reach out to so that I make sure everybody's in the same um, same corner for Abby. I always, with elementary school, I definitely recommend reaching out to her teacher before the school year starts and set up a time to have a face-to-face appointment with her gen ed teacher, as well as special area teachers. The nurse needs to be involved. And um, we talked a little bit about how if the nurse isn't around, who's the next person that would take care of Abby? Who would she reach out to if she just wasn't feeling quite right and needed to check in with an adult outside of the classroom? So I think the more people you can involve, if she's riding a bus, you know, taking time to see if you can arrange a meeting or an email or have the school nurse talk to her bus driver about her medical condition. I feel like the more people you can involve that she interacts with, the better informed they are, the better everyone can take care of her. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. And I think it's important, though, to remember, you know, you want to reach out to that person that you that you need to have that information. So if there's something about math or reading that you need to address, that would, you know, you would reach out to the teacher, or like Marna said, if you have questions or concerns, or you need to get some information to transportation, you reach directly to the transportation department, but then make sure that the the building administrator is aware and that the nurse is aware um, on a regular basis so that they can follow up with, you know, help um, for those other, for those other professionals that, that have your children. So, and then I, again, follow up with those conversations um, in an email just so that everybody's on the same page. Marta, you brought something up that was really important um, also, and you said to make sure that you have a backup plan. Um, there should always be a backup plan. So I think that's really important because people at school get sick too. And so if that nurse isn't there, you need to know what the next, um, who the other person that's going to step in is going to be. 
you ladies bring up some good points. So basically, if I'm understanding you guys correctly, it's whoever is going to be in contact with that child throughout their day likely is needing the same information. Yep, absolutely. Hey, good to know, good to know. So Marty, you brought up a good point. Um, some districts are remote, some districts are hybrid. So during this time, if your child is remote, do you still speak to the school and keep them up to date, even though they're not interacting with them? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, the school really needs to have all the same information that they would have if a student was coming in person. It, just because some schools are remote and some are hybrid, you know, making sure that you're establishing that positive and collaborative relationship between home and school is always in the best interest of the child, educationally, medically, and, and to meet those social, emotional, um, health, and well-being needs. So, you know, again, you can't have overkill with this situation. So what schools don't know, they can't help with. That's a good point, Marty. If they don't know, they can't help her. What are your guys' thoughts on including the child in on the meetings and meeting everybody that she's going to interact or going to be within her HAE team at school? Now, Abby is first grade, so we've had one meeting with her school. She was present, but she was quite shy. Um, she didn't speak. She didn't really want to interact. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? I found for Paige when she was in elementary school, it was just too hard for her to sit through those meetings and share personal information that she wasn't ready to talk to others about having hereditary angioedema. As she's gotten older, she has been more able to articulate her needs and been able to articulate what is happening with her body when she's having an attack. Um, she takes a lot of pride in explaining how she medically takes care of herself with her prophylactic treatment. So we started include my husband and I made the decision to start including her in these meetings with the schools, with her 504 meetings, her freshman year of high school. And we felt like she was able to explain what accommodations that she needed in the school setting and was able to explain what she needed as well as why she needed those accommodations and still have us obviously there to support her through that. And some of that is, you know, trying to have those teachable moments with Paige so that when she does go out into the world and goes to college that she can handle more of these conversations on her own. Before that, she was just, it was too much and it would create a lot of anxiety for her. And it wasn't, the payoff wasn't there with having her involved. So I can um, kind of answer that from, with, with both hats. You know, Kelsey was diagnosed when she was a freshman. So she was older. Um, she was having attacks very frequently. So she was able to speak about those um, and really be able to explain to people how she felt and advocate for the needs that, you know, what she needed. So we included her from the get-go. Would I have done that when she was younger? Knowing Kelsey, probably, um, but I think it really depends on where the child's at and how comfortable they are um, sitting at a table with all these adults staring at them. Yeah. But that being said, putting my putting my educator hat on, you know, we have we have kiddos in our building 
all the time with um, severe allergies and they carry their EpiPen or with asthma and they carry their inhaler um, or they have a pump for their diabetes. And we want to empower them so that they can be their own best advocate um, if they need something to let us know. So it's just what we do. Um, we have, like I said, we have, a, we have a bunch of kids who have all sorts of different unique medical needs. Um, so HAE really isn't any different than any of those. So I think the sooner the child is able to participate in those meetings and to be able to really be an advocate for themselves, I think the better everybody else is. And then as a mom, you probably feel a little bit more comfortable when they walk out the door and they go to school and they're away from you for seven hours. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. wise. <laughs> My thought with including Abby in that first meeting was I wanted her maybe not, you know, at six years old, be able to advocate for herself, but I wanted her to see who knew about HAE. So if something happened, she could relate that teacher that she already knows. I don't have to explain it. Not only do I not know what's going on right now, but now I don't know how to explain HAE to anybody that I need help, right? So that was my thought so that Abby could already know. I know mom has already talked to my teacher or I know mom has already talked to the nurse and to relate yeah, images to this conversation. I think that's a great thought with her. Um, I think we kind of talked a little bit about Nico's lunchbox. And I, that might be a great way to start the school year too is sitting down with the nurse and her new teacher and Abby giving a copy of the book to the teacher and having that connection that they've already had this touch base point with the book that, you know, more or less helps her open those lines of communication with those people. I agree. And I think, you know, it's always important to put a face with a name and some schools and some school districts are very small, very rural, Um, So everybody already knows everybody, but there's other school systems. My school system has 13,000 students in it. Um, You look at LA public schools or Chicago public schools or or schools in New York, and there's hundreds of thousands of kids. So putting a face with a name um, certainly does does not hurt matters. It just draws awareness where awareness is needed. Yeah, you both bring up a good point, especially Marty. We do live in a very rural um, school district, but it's always good to put HAE with Abby just in case somebody notices something. I want one of those teachers that if Abby hasn't noticed it yet or is unsure how to notice it, that those teachers or that secretary or her music teacher knows that Abby is not looking like Abby or Abby is not acting like Abby normally does. So I wanted that all-encompassing awareness that more eyes are on her than not was my thought. And I think you guys have just reiterated that thought process for me. But Marta, you brought up a good point on uh, Nico's Lunchbox book um, and allowing Abby to give that to her teacher or her librarian. Um, But what other information or packets did you guys provide during your meetings I know I did hand out the HAEA um, ER toolkits. Is there anything else that 
would be good? Or what did you guys bring? I have brought the toolkit mostly for her school nurses. And then I also have used some of those more interactive um, resources that the drug companies will hand out about hereditary angioedema that's related to the medication, but is really straightforward and easy that a teacher can look at it along with the ER toolkit, that infographic, that they can look at it and understand hereditary angioedema without having to dive too deep. And then I found some YouTube videos that I sent to them that I felt were helpful. Um, and then again, I'll date myself. So 10 years ago, um, when Kelsey was, was first diagnosed and we were providing all the information to her school, um, we didn't have an ER toolkit. So I had to create those items for myself um, and, and made an infographic uh, for her that I provided to her school, also to our EMTs, police department, and um, the local um, hospitals that she would be transported to for medical care if need be. Like Marna said, also the, the information from the pharmaceutical companies, um, that information is really good for your nurses to have. But now that we have the ER toolkit, that is such an important tool. And when Kelsey was in college, I did use that to share that with her, not only her, her college, but also the area hospitals that she would go to if something were to happen when she was in Chicago. And so, so yes, you heard me correct. Um, just because your kids get older, you are still their, you're still their mom, you're still their parent, you're still their biggest advocate. So even when your kids go to college, you know, when Kelsey went and did her orientation, I went and saw the hospitals and she didn't even really have to know that I did it because she would have been like, mom, just let me handle it. But I did it anyway. So want to make sure that you just keep advocating for them no matter how old they get. And then we had the really unique opportunity of being part of the special blood production when Kelsey was in high school. So it was also really nice for us to be able to say, you know, oh, here's my kid's movie. So um, that was, that was fun. That was a fun opportunity. Yes, that was a very cool opportunity for Kelsey. And I'm so happy that she was able to be involved in the special blood. And even though not everyone was involved in that, it's still a good avenue of bringing life to the faces of HAE, the, of those people that were involved. It's more than just a piece of paper. You can, you can see, see the emotion and the story being told behind that special blood movie. So awesome. Ladies, is there anything else you would like to add to our conversation about HAE and education or communicating with your, your child's teachers? I think what we touched on is really important that you talk often with your child's school, that when you have, when your child has changes with medication, treatment, that you reach out and you share that information. Or if you have a child, I, I know Paige is at the point now where she can reach out to her teachers and let them know what's going on. If she has a special medical appointment, if she's going to be missing school, I encourage 
parents to speak with the school about accommodations that their children may need. If it's something that they're coming back to school after they've had an extremity swell that they're able to carry a backpack, if that's not something that they're allowed to bring to class with them, that you definitely look at your child as an individual and make sure that the school sees them as an individual and that they're, they recognize that they do have unique needs and that they're there to help them when they do need access to individual accommodations or if they need extra time to complete an assignment because they have been away seeing their specialist depending on you know where their doctors are what how their body is responding to changes and I would encourage you to always in times when we don't have COVID to go into the school and to -to face-to-face sit down and talk with the nurse at least once a year so that they do know your face. And I know Kelsey's mom and I were talking about how nice it is that our kids are able to have their on-demand treatments with them so that they can treat themselves and, and take care of any emergencies that they may have. And definitely ask those questions so that your child has access to their medications if they're going to need them during the school day or if they're participating in extracurricular activities that they are able to participate and that they're able to participate safely. Yeah, absolutely. Ditto everything Marna just said. Um, You know, we we preach to our our staff um, and, and, and parents ask for it too, you know, relationship, relationship, relationship. It's so important. And so it's still important for a parent to establish that relationship and um, with the school and the school, the relationship with the parent and, and collaborate and really be a true team because we know that when parents and schools collaborate, it really is in the best interest of the child. Schools want to partner with parents and we don't want parents to be afraid to reach out to us. So please do that. Um, again, I'll, I'll say it the third time um, in this podcast, but there can't be overkill when you're talking about the life of your child. We're educators. We went into this career because we genuinely like children. Um, so don't be afraid of us. Come to us with your concerns and let us, let us help. That is some great information, ladies. Thank you for sharing um, your personal stories with um, speaking to schools and both of your views on being teachers and within the educational system yourselves. I think you you wear many hats and I am thankful for this conversation with both of you so that you can share both sides of your thoughts on all the questions that I had. Um, You brought up some great points and really ease my mind when approaching Abby and HAE and her school together as a a fluid conversation with them. So thank you all very, very much. Yeah, if there's ever anything anybody needs, you know, I don't, I'm on Facebook. I'm available to be a sounding board to say, hey, what do you think about this? Um, I'm happy to share my experiences with Kelsey, but also my experiences um, in education. So anyone who's listening to this, um, my door is open. Again, thank you ladies for answering all of my questions. Um, You guys had some great information and some great tips. Also, we talked about the materials. So I did wanna add to please contact Uh, Mike Mallory, if you want to request any ER toolkits, but also to check out the HAEA.org 
website under school resources. There is a ton of information on there about HAE, you and your child's school. Also your child in the 504 plans, um, some links on school nurse, and also HAE and preparing for college. So please check out HAEA.org. And again, thank you, Marty and Marna, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the HAE Speaks podcast. I would like to send a huge thank you to the HAEA, to Biochris Pharmaceuticals, Ionis Pharmaceuticals, and to CADA for sponsoring the HAE Speaks 2021 podcast series. I would like to also thank Michael G. for the music and Michael C. for the podcast editing. Please click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new podcast becomes available. For more updates about the HAE Speaks podcast, or if you would like to connect with the HAE community and gather more information about HAE, please visit HAEA.org. Also, you can follow the HAEA on social media within Facebook and Instagram at HAEA. Also, check out the HAEA youth-created and produced podcast series called Beyond HAE. Thank you again for listening to the HAE Speaks podcast.